Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to Chef Special on the Believe Podcast Network. This is Patrick Honeywell. Today, my special guest is Josiah Hewley, Technical Advisor Chocolate from Paradas Corporation one of the world's leading producers of chocolate with corporate headquarters located just outside of Brussels. On today's podcast, the topic is chocolate, with Josiah breaking down the process of producing chocolate from start to finish. Josiah also shares some backstory behind Prado's sustainable cacao trace program. All right, Josiah, thank you for joining me on my podcast today. Thanks for having me. So listen, um, I want to talk about chocolate. But I want to talk a little bit about your history first. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your history besides that we've worked together in the past, okay? All right, I'll leave that part out. No. <laughs> <laughs> right on, right on. <laughs> um, uh, just a short intro for myself. Uh, as exec pastry chef, worked in some boutique to small industry chocolate shops along the way too. Uh, then I got into manufacturing on the sweet goods side. And then I've been working for Prados for about the last six years. My main focus at Prados is a technical advisor, and I focus on chocolate. My recollection of you in the past when we worked together at Le Chef was that you were super technical, very, very bright, and super talented. So that's why you're here, man. All right. That's yeah. Very kind of you. <laughs> <laughs> so let's 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 talk about chocolate. Chocolate, you know, I think it's it's kind of a mystery. People people, you know, at home, they'll get like a hey, let me have a hunk of chocolate bar, or let me have a cocoa or something. But let's talk about the chocolate itself, how it's processed. Can you walk us through that? Sure. All right. So the the process from uh, what you're consuming in, in your stores or your chocolate shops um, really starts back from the pod, starts from the plantation, the tree. So first, uh, these wonderful um, cacao pods have to be growing um, traditionally, and like you know, like we spoke about earlier, in a tropical environment somewhere around the equator. Uh, so first, the um, the farmers actually harvest the pod. Um, they have about 24 hours to actually cut open the pod. Traditionally, they do it relatively quickly after it's taken off the tree, though. And um, they harvest these pods, they cut them open, they take all the pulp out, all the cacao beans, and they ferment them. A good chocolate is traditionally fermented for a minimum of five to seven days, and then it's dried out. Traditionally, they're dried out in these covered rooms that are left outdoors, and that takes a couple of weeks. After the beans are then dried, they go into a production facility, that actually has uh, roasters. So they evenly roast it and dry it out even more. After the roasting, they do a step called wintering, which is basically where they take the outer shell of the cocoa bean and they get all that like rough skin off of it. And it also, any particulates that may have been mixed in with the beans in this process prior, gets rid of all that too. So right after that step, it's then ground. Um, and in the grinding process, it actually extracts the cocoa butter from the cocoa mass, or here in the US, some people know it as cocoa liqueur. It's the same thing, mass or liqueur are the same thing. And you actually um, 
still have a little bit of cocoa butter in there, usually less than 10%, but um, it's separated. So you have mass and you have cocoa butter. Then you take that mass and you add it with uh, whatever type of chocolate you're making, whether it's milk or dark, you'd be adding your sugars, your milk powder, um, sometimes vanilla flavor and so forth. It goes through what we call as refiners or rollers. That brings it down to a very low micron so that you have a very good mouthfeel. And um, after it's been refined or rolled or ground, let's call that to keep it simple, it will go into uh, the conching. So conching is basically cooking, homogenizing, breaking down the cocoa mass, which then at the same time, cocoa butter is added into it. And that's where you start getting that tricky percentages, mass and cocoa butter combined equal X amount, whether it's you know 60%, 70% and so forth. So it's conched. So conching takes anywhere from, I would say, I've seen it as low as an hour and up to two, three days. So it just depends on the style of chocolate and where it's coming from in the process. So after it's conched and all the ingredients are nice and cooked throughout, it then goes to the tempering units because now you have chocolate, you have the finished chocolate, um, so it has to be tempered. So it goes in your tempering units and then it goes down a line, it's deposited into the coins or discs that a lot of us know how chocolate looks now, packaged, and then it's sent to wherever you're buying, you know, your fine chocolate pieces to consume. And that's pretty much from start to finish from the bean or the pod all the way to the actual finished product. You mentioned uh, near the equators where the um, the cocoa pods are grown. Which countries do you think are doing the most volume? Uh, volume, I would definitely say the Ivory Coast, Africa, uh, is definitely cranking out a lot of cacao. Um, I would say they make up uh, approximately 80% or more of the cacao in, in the global market. You do have some niche markets that are starting to come to fruition um, in Asia, like Papua New Guinea, um, uh, Philippines, Vietnam is uh, really big too. You also have like, you know, Central and South America that have always had very strong flavor profiles. They're just not uh, as much quantity or yeah, quantity, if you will, as let's say the Ivory Coast. Interesting. Okay. You know, when I think of uh, chocolate that I've, you know, when I was in the hotel business more so, and also Le Chef that I've used in the past, there's a lot of chocolate you always think of the great chocolatiers of the chocolate made um, coming out of Switzerland, uh, Belgium, France. Why are they so uh, famous for their chocolate? Uh, I, I, I think it, it comes back to like your personality and what you were raised on or what you, uh, the different types of notes you like. Like a, a French chocolate um, is traditionally not conched as long as a Belgian chocolate. And that's why you would say there's more refined, sweeter notes, smoother, long lasting notes in a Belgian chocolate, opposed to a French chocolate is gonna be more upfront and not as long lasting. Not to say that the French don't make good chocolate. I mean, there's lots of great French uh, chocolate. There's lots of great Belgium chocolate. The thing with like Swiss chocolates, a lot of people um, think of milk chocolate and they think of Switzerland and they think there's just that phenomenal uh, milk that's produced from the cows that's actually used in the chocolate and their mm. grazing habits and stuff like that. And that's why you get 
a lot different uh, flavor profiles from like a Swiss milk chocolate opposed to an American because it's coming from the milk. But all in all, everybody's typically using pretty much the same regions, you know, from the Ivory Coast or Central South America or Asia. So mm-hmm. uh, one, one thing that I like a lot is uh, finding like a single origin chocolate. Parados, Belcolod, we have uh, a lot of origin chocolates that all the cacao is grown in a specific region, which then gives you specific flavor profiles from where those cacao were grown. Sometimes they're on old, um, you know, tropical fruit farms. Sometimes they're on old uh, palm uh, farms and so forth. So you really get a lot of that flavor from that. Or like Papua New Guinea, traditionally, uh, Papua New Guinea, it's such a humid place that uh, traditionally they would grow cacao and you'd get a good flavor, but it was always known to have a smoky note was because it was so humid there that um, in Papua New Guinea, traditionally, they would actually have to dry the uh, beans on an open uh, fire. So you get those smoky notes. Uh, Hmm. Prado's developed and worked a lot with the farmers in uh, Papua New Guinea, where we actually dry them as if you traditionally would, uh, just in covered rooms outdoors. So you you don't get as much of the artificial smoky notes up there, but you get a lot of the great flavors from the land. Awesome. Yeah, you know, Prados is, I think, is is well known for having a cool, sustainable cocoa program. Do you want to tell us more about that? Like you mentioned, do you say New Guinea? Is that where the... Papua New Guinea, yeah. Papua New Guinea. So is there, uh-huh. where where do you guys work? Which countries do you have uh, relationships with for your sustainable program? Yeah, sure. Um, so we, we, uh, we do have a sustainable pro- program. It's called Cacao Trace. We either work directly with the farmers or we actually have our own farms. Um, and the whole idea behind this whole program is that um, if you look back maybe five years ago and you look at the projected growth of chocolate consumption in the next 15, 20 years, we would not have enough um, cacao in the world to fill the need. And a lot of it comes back to um, the cacao farming um, was not as lucrative. And kids growing up in those generational farmers' families would look at their parents working very hard and going through tough times when their uh, crop failed or or other issues came about, um, dryness or anything like that. And they would look at and say, you know what, I don't want to be a part of this. So what Parados did was we stepped in and we helped educate the plantations and farmers. We helped show them a better way of life of farming and have to have a more sustainable crop. And in doing so, we they flourished and they're doing very well now. It's something I'm very near and dear to. It's like even in Mexico, we have our own plantations, but we also have co-ops where we actually take the beans from the local farms. We ferment it ourselves so we can control that because that's a huge deal in cacao. Like A lot of uh, domestic, especially, um, they just take a blend of whatever beans they can get, and then they just add a ton of sugar on top of it. You don't really taste the cacao, but we actually take the raw beans and we ferment it ourselves so we can control that fermentation because we have such a long history with the sourdough and and fermentation Mm -hmm. that we've really mastered that. And we ferment the beans, we dry the beans, and then the farmers get back five cents for every pound sold here in the U.S. or, or 10 cents for every kilo globally. Mm-hmm. So it's actually equal to some regions or some, it just depends on the region. Some of the farmers 
will take the, the cash bonus, if you will, and other uh, places like a lot in the Ivory Coast, they said, we'd rather you take that money and help us build uh, schools for our children or watersheds in Papua New Guinea and stuff like that. So not everybody takes the bonus. They, they'll take it as a collective community of farmers and they'll build something for the community or some countries and regions take that. But imagine like five cents mean you may not mean a lot, but for every pound sold, they get five cents. And that equals to sometimes upwards of two to three months of their pay. So imagine if your employer said, hey, I'm going to give you two extra months of pay this year. Would you be excited about it or not? So <laughs> <laughs> where do I, mean, I sign for, up? <laughs> for, yeah, for me, I'm like, wow, where, where can I get that? But, yeah, you yeah. know, it it really it, it helps the cacao um, industry be more sustainable because now the kids that are growing up now are seeing all these benefits and seeing their parents work hard, but get the get, get something in return. So. Mm. It's a great program and it, it helps the sustainability of the cacao, which, you know, with the growing numbers, if you look at the consumption rates of not only here in the U.S., but just globally, like chocolate just keeps rising and rising. And we would not have that supply chain in years to come if it wasn't for this, because people are trying to get out, out of it. When I think about chocolate, you know, there's different percentages of cocoa liqueur, cocoa solids, et cetera. You might have what they call a 60% chocolate. Let's say that you have a chocolate that's made from a, with a high quality cocoa uh, chocolate um, by a company that's very reputable at 60%. And then maybe another company not, maybe it's not quite the same quality. If you were to close your eyes and do a side-by-side, -side, what would you notice differently between the high quality one and the other, even though they're both 60%? That's, I mean, that's a good question. And that's what a lot of people are fooled on in this day and age, if you will, is everybody sees, ooh, 70% or 60%. Let, let me go after it. You know, it's got to be healthy benefits for me and everything else. The percentage is based off cocoa mass and cocoa butter. So depending on the market and when and and uh, which one is higher or lower, let's say the cocoa butter market is high right now and the cocoa mass is not, those companies will just flip-flop ingredient deck. And they will add more cocoa butter uh, opposed to cocoa mass. They also depend. The other thing, what I would notice would be flavor profile and how it was conched and how the fermentation. You can really taste the fermentation as a well-rounded chocolate opposed to if it's not well-fermented, you don't really get that chocolatey notes. You just mm. get kind of a bland chocolate taste, almost cocoa powder taste. Um and sometimes people relate it to like a smoky flavor too. You def you definitely got to like dive deep because there is no regulation that you have to put on the ingredient deck, uh, how much mass is in there opposed to cocoa butter, um, how much chocolate, is, or excuse me, how much sugar is in there and so forth. Also too, like a, a good menu or a good chocolate company will also uh, refine it properly, which means they'll basically grind it down. So you should have like a nice smooth texture, mm -hmm. but the quicker you can get through those refiners, the more chocolate you can produce at a cheaper price. Right. So also to the mouthfeel and how it melts in your mouth and is it gritty or not gritty that play a big play into roll into it. Also too, the less uh, chocolate is punched, the more acidic it's going to be, the more upfront, the more pronounced it's going to be. So you might 
try the one that's less quality and think at first it's a great chocolate just because it's like up front in your face. But really, if it disappears quite quickly, that means it's not a good quality chocolate because it was conched really quick, which gives you an upfront flavor burst, let's call it, to where if it's long lasting, it starts in the front of your mouth and continues all the way back through your taste buds. It'll be a long lasting, good tasting chocolate. And that means it was conched properly. It was conched long enough to help it be balanced. I just gained some information uh, from you right now. Thank you. <laughs> so, that's awesome. So, okay. Dark chocolate, milk chocolate, white chocolate. Now, I, I think in the old days, you know, a lot of uh, diehard purists, you know, chefs that were making or different pastries, et cetera, different pastry chefs, uh, dark chocolate was so, was, was it. But I think there's a lot of great recipes, milk chocolate, um, dark chocolate, and some with white. But let's start with white chocolate. I don't think it's considered to be an actual chocolate, is it? Uh, that's correct. Yeah, because there's no cocoa mass in it. So um, it's just cocoa butter. And every country has different regulations. The U.S. is not very regulatory on white chocolate because they don't consider it chocolate. So there's a lot of, let's say, loopholes in between the lines, if you will, if you call it white chocolate or so forth. But uh there are, I mean, there's there's a time and place for everything. You know, it depends what you're looking for. It depends what time of the year it is. It depends, you know, what application you're looking to do. Um, mm -hmm. White chocolate, some people prefer it. Milk chocolate was always the strongest chocolate here in the U.S., but that is definitely changing, and people are leaning more towards dark as they get more educated, mm -hmm. and they understand that instead of adding more sugar and milk solids, you're just adding the, the actual, the cacao, the, the mass to it. So, but, you know, it goes back to there's time and place for everything. There's some recipes that milk chocolate just works really good for. Um, same with white. And then, it, you know, I tend to go on the darker side with some recipes when I'm trying to promote the actual chocolate or where it's from, if it's single origin. Mm -hmm. And I don't want people to get distracted on, on the you know, the ganache filling or the, the jelly filling or something like that, where like a white chocolate will help kind of mold all those together to where a dark chocolate, you have to balance it out because you want the chocolate to be the forefront. You want people to taste those notes. If you're using like a, an origins chocolate or something mm -hmm. like that, if you're just using like your everyday run in the mill chocolate and you want to add in some flavor or um, fruits or whatever, then you still want to make sure you balance it out and the chocolate's not too strong. But, but there's definitely a time and place for each one of them, milk, white, and dark. It just depends on the demographic and your, your customer profile, like, you know, what people are looking for. Got you. So you mentioned applications. Let's say a chocolate mousse or a chocolate ganache. If you do both and you use a particular chocolate, will someone notice the difference between the quality of chocolate once it's been put in, you know, with other ingredients like that? How important is the chocolate? I think it, it, all the ingredients in any recipe, my opinion, are very important, you know, mm -hmm. um, whether it's a good source from like if we're talking about mousse, the heavy cream, you know, but it, it just I think it depends on the finished product you're looking for. You can make a really good mousse with milk or white. You can make a really good mousse with dark. It just depends how you're labeling it and, and what you're going for, mm -hmm. um, the complexity of it. Technically, you could say a mousse is more watered down than a ganache. So if I was going to make a ganache, I would definitely want to use a good tasting chocolate that has good properties, unless I want the chocolate to be the afterthought and I want the 
the fruit filling or the the other app or the other part of the product mm-hmm. to be the forefront. But you would say a mousse, why I say is kind of wired down is because you're traditionally adding milk, cream, sugar, eggs, um, something to stabilize it. So you do need a good flavored chocolate to stand out. But at the end of the day, it's kind of, it, it's not the forefront, right? Unless you're making a very rich, heavy uh, mousse, then you would want a different profile of chocolate, like a darker chocolate to really stand out. Okay, that sounds great. Okay, now let me talk about using chocolate at home for you know people listening that may want to make a mousse or something. Where the heck they don't necessarily have Parados that they can go over to a Parado store, right, and grab some uh, some cool Belgium chocolate. What do you what do you recommend for people at home that want to use chocolate? What should they do? I mean, there's a lot of different avenues from online to probably your your more local um, or semi local. Um, Grocery stores, let's say, um, tend to have a little bit better variety of chocolates. Mm-hmm. You can definitely find Ocalade online. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, but you, I would definitely search online. You may have to pay a little extra for price or for uh, shipping. But you can definitely find a lot of good chocolate online and maybe buy small quantities and, and do a taste testing at your house and, and try to find like where you think it's good and, and understand the story, make sure that it's, you know, sustainable cacao and that it's, um, it's a good flavor that you're looking for. Okay. I have a question. What would be your go-to chocolate dessert if you were going to a party and they said, Josiah, our man, our pastry chef, chocolate guy, uh, can you bring the chocolate dessert? Well, first, I, I, I don't do those anymore. <laughs> hey, come on. I'm just going to invite you over, man. Come on. <laughs> no, no, I mean, um, I, I'm always looking for a story to tell and, and something that I'm proud of. Um, you know, we, as we spoke about the Cacao Trace program we have here with Parados, I'm really a huge fan of the Vietnam 73 or the Papua New Guinea, which is 73 too, because you know, it, 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 there's something more about a dessert or, or just even just something that you're going to consume if you know the history behind it or the background and be able to talk, talk about the cacao trace program and, and how we're sourcing these um, beans from a specific region. And just for people to actually try and kind of be educated about that. And it's, it's a lot more fulfilling if you will, when you can actually share your passion and also have a great tasting product. So mm. I would definitely lean towards those. And and it's not necessarily because they're 73%, it's just the chocolate they are. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I, I like using origin chocolates just because there's more of a story behind it and, and where it's from. Gotcha. So this has been great information, Josiah. I really appreciate it. Now, if somebody wanted to follow you or Parados, what, what would you recommend, how, you know, to learn more about your company and maybe even you, like, you know, not your home address and phone number, but I'll give that out later. I, I would say definitely, um, you know, go on the social media platforms. Uh, we're a global company, so um, we have a ton of different uh, platforms and Instagram, Facebook accounts, social media accounts. You can get inspired from all of our colleagues from all over the globe. You, you could definitely do that. You can go to prados.us.com and uh, look us up there too if, if you're looking for uh, any ingredients. I think, yeah, that's pretty much where you can find us. Sounds We're great. not too hard to find. Just type <laughs> in Parados. <laughs> <laughs> P-U-R-A-T-O-S. Perfect. All right on. Yeah. 
Well, Josiah, great to hear your voice. Great to see you. And uh, I want to thank you again. I've uh, been waiting a long time to have you on my podcast. So thanks again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No problem. Thanks for having me. For all of you listening out there, Chef Special is part of the Believe Podcast Network. Check it out at believe.com. And follow me on Instagram at Patrick Honeywell. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.